Thank you, Pastor Brenda. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all today. Um, welcome. We are in the final Sunday of the Bigger Table series, this journey that we started, that we've been on, that celebrates that this table, this invitation to community is God's heart and his desire is to invite everybody to the table to experience him. It's in fact his table. He sets the table and he wants us to be a part of it and to invite others to it. So we end the series kind of where we began with Jesus around the table. And um, I don't know about you, have you been um, looking up any of the new AI technologies that are coming out with chat, GPT, AI photos? So I had two friends post AI-generated photos of Jesus around the table. So uh, let's take a look um, at those here. <laughs> This was, I think they put in, if Jesus were taking a selfie today, um, this was sort of the, the image that came forward. So, you know, it's exciting, the AI. It's also a little scary uh, sometimes in what it can do, but uh, it can provide some humor. It looks like Jesus' nose, especially on the right there, is quite red. Perhaps he's been drinking. You can see the wine. He's been celebrating, which is really where we're landing this plane today is celebration. Celebration. We're meant to be celebrators, to enjoy what God has provided, to, to celebrate as a community. We see Jesus celebrating again and again, and we started with Jesus celebrating with Matthew, going to Matthew's house, having dinner with tax collectors and sinners, and enjoying the food and the wine. Everybody enjoys a good celebration. But celebration is actually a, a spiritual discipline. It can take energy. It can take effort. You know, celebration is a state of mind, but it also requires intention, intention and effort, especially when maybe we don't feel like celebrating. It's setting our minds to it. So let's jump into that today. We're going to talk a little bit about what keeps us from celebrating, why celebration is important, and also how can we celebrate. So let's pray. God, I thank you um, that you are here in our midst, that you are a God that celebrates and invites us to that celebratory table. And so may we encounter you in this time, Jesus. Amen. So what are some things that hold us back from celebrating COVID? Definitely, right? And sometimes the lingering effects of COVID, uncertainty, not knowing what's next, being concerned or worried or anxious about the future or something that you're in the midst of. These things sort of derail our brains a bit and keep us from being in the moment, keep us from celebrating. We had artist uh, Makoto Fujimura with us years ago now, and he had, he's a brilliant artist. We have some of his books here as well, and he's really creative. And he said, you know what? Every one of you is creative. And I was thinking, really? He's like, but usually we use our creativity and our imagination to imagine everything that can go wrong. <laughs> All of our worries and anxieties, we're very creative with how things might not work out. And I think there's some truth in that. I could definitely relate to that. So celebration has a way of standing in the face of our anxieties. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of the Discipline, says this, the spirit of celebration will not be in us until we have learned to be careful for nothing, to be carefree. It is difficult to celebrate when we're full of anxiousness. 
What else holds us back? It's hard to live in the present. Um, we can get bogged down about our past, maybe choices we've made, things that have been done to us. We can be nervous about the future, what's ahead, decisions that have to be made, uncertainties, and it can be really challenging to be in the moment. But church, in the moment, in the present, is where God meets us. All the way back to the Israelites in the desert, he gave the people enough manna for the day. And he meets us in the moment, giving us enough grace for today. And we can engage with him each day for that day. So let's look at some of the ways celebration has been a part of the biblical story. We're going to go all the way back to Deuteronomy here. And uh, let's dig in. Deuteronomy 14. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord will, God your, will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your homes, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, there was a lot of, lot of words there, and it starts off with bring this tenth. In Hebrew, tenth is the word for tithe. That's why there's the practice of tithing, of giving a 10% of what God has given you back to God himself. Now, there are lots of tithes in the Old Testament, and this is speaking of one of them. And I, I love this instruction to the people of Israel because they're able to enjoy the tithe themselves. Right? The celebration here is in their worship. It's celebrating what God has given them in the presence of God. He's telling them, have a feast. Take a vacation, right? Go to Jerusalem have a party, enjoy the meat, enjoy the olive oil, enjoy the wine, and celebrate in my presence. Eat this feast in my presence. And if you can't make the trip, if it's too far away, exchange that for silver and, and buy the things that, that you need to celebration. See, a tithe is, is an acknowledgement that what you have is from God. That what you've been given has been given to you from him. And so Deuteronomy here says that it helps you to revere God as the great giver. It helps you to acknowledge that he is the one who has given you these things in the first place. You give some to God and you join in the eating of them 
And you cannot take your food for granted because your ability to get that food has been given to you by God. This is why tithing is tied up with revering, why eating in the presence of God is tied up with revering him and worshiping him. It's an occasion for rejoicing, of celebration. It's worship. And we see the celebrations as a regular interval in their festivals to worship before God. He goes on in that last verse, you know, the Levites, the ones who were organizing, you know, uh, temple uh, worship and things didn't have land. They weren't given land. So make provision for them, but also for those that do not have the fatherless, the widows, those who don't have an abundance, invite them to the table as well. So celebration is inclusive. It's meant to be not just my celebration, but our celebration. Part of why we have the practice of praying before our meals is this this idea here that we're thanking God for the food he has given us, the, the food that he has given us the ability to perhaps earn the money to make, to buy the food. And, and sometimes, in, and, and I've been with people, and they'll pray in their, and this is a good practice, they're praying for those who do not have food. And I remember thinking when I was younger, wow, we're entering the celebration and, and you're praying for those that don't have enough. And now I'm thinking about those who don't have enough and I'm feeling guilty about celebrating. And, and that can happen if all we're ever doing is just praying for them and we're not including them into the celebration. Deuteronomy here isn't just assuming, it's encouraging us to bring others into that celebration, those who do not have enough to celebrate, invite them in. It gets back to God's heart for us way back in Genesis 1 and 2, this idea of flourishing, and not just our individual flourishing, but flourishing is only flourishing when everybody is flourishing. This is why it's important to be in community and connected to one another so we can see those who need extra help in inviting in. What else is celebration? Celebration is trusting. It's trusting God. So that was Deuteronomy um, 14. And, and now the very next chapter, Deuteronomy 15, I think speaks at the importance of trusting God in our celebration. Deuteronomy 15, 1 to 3 At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. Now, if you owed a debt and you weren't able to pay it back, you love the year of Jubilee, right? This, this year of canceling debts. If you're the one who is owed the money, maybe you're not so excited about the year of Jubilee, right? You're, you're having to let go. You're having to write off. And, and why? You know, why would God do this? It doesn't seem fair. And I think it's a good question to ponder. I think God knows our hearts and he has mercy and compassion. It's a way of somewhat equaling the scales, if you, if you like, giving people a second chance to not get further into debt and perhaps into enslavement. It's a reset for them. 
it limits the gap between the wealthy and the poor, but I think even deeper than that, it's a theological truth here that requires a trust in God in order to release those debts, that God will provide, that our trust can be upon him, that we can live with the carefree spirit in the moment. So I think celebration in the Bible is also perspective giving. It's a state of mind, but it, inquire, it requires intention for us to engage it. Paul talks about celebration in Philippians, Philippians 4.4. 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, many of you maybe know this passage, and it's an important passage. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and they've got challenges, just like we have challenges. So he's not saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, so you guys can rejoice, have a good time. No, in the midst of some of the challenges, rejoice, rejoice. This is his final encouragement. It's not that everything is okay. On the contrary, it's acknowledging that not everything is okay, but you can still rejoice. See, rejoicing and celebration is not being in denial of reality. It's not escape. It's not pretending that everything's okay when it isn't. When we disengage or when we escape, when we feed our addictions, when we numb our availability to be present, when we you know, remove ourselves from the challenges, that is not celebration, that is denial. But celebration can be a way, a guardrail, if you will, to the challenges in our life. We were talking about this concept um, amongst the, the team this week, and Mike was sharing. And in his culture, um, you know, there are a lot of challenges. You know, the people are going through a lot of things, but, you know, the, the, the team was commenting that his culture seems very good at celebration. And he's like, yeah, we're not denying that these things are hard, but we don't let those hard things sort of bleed into all of our lives, infect all of our lives, keep us from celebrating for being in the moment and I think that's an encouragement to us as well. Paul also says there in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This is about their public image, right? How the church looks to the larger community. So there's celebration, but there's also a gentleness. And, you know, they didn't have the Myers-Briggs profile back then, uh, but it's like we can think of celebration as extroversion and the life of the party, but he's also like, be gentle, you know, he's looking out for the introverts as well, right? Our celebration works best when everybody is a part of it, no matter your personality type. We can each celebrate in our own way. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. See, anxiety was a way of life in the ancient pagan world with so many gods and goddesses and so many requirements for the right type of sacrifice or guessing at the right type of sacrifice. And did I get enough? Did I, did I not give enough? And this uncertainty and anxiety was a part of the culture. And Paul 
wants them to know, you know, being a follower of Christ does not prevent you from suffering. It's not that bad things aren't going to happen. But you don't have to be anxious about where you stand with God. You can have assurance that you can be at peace with him. That it doesn't all depend on you. That he makes a way for you to him. And that's the peace of God which transcends all understanding. We can bring every area of our life to him, right? He says, by prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love how um, N.T. Wright says it about this passage. He says, prayer like that will mean that God's peace, a deep peace in the middle of life's problems and storms, will keep guard around your heart and mind like a squadron of soldiers looking after a treasure chest. God is saying, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Bring it all to me. Paul is saying, you know what? There are challenges in life, and we can still celebrate. There are challenges in life. We can bring them to God, but that gives us perspective, knowing that God is sovereign, that he holds us in his hand, that things aren't happening without his knowing, that there's a bigger story going on there that we are a part of. So how to celebrate? What are some ideas that we can have to celebrate? Play. Play. Now, any of you that have kids, you're probably engaged in this a lot, right? You're reading stories, you're, you know, you're crawling around on the floor, you're playing with Legos, and um, if you haven't had kids, maybe play is a little bit harder for you to engage. But Jesus brings this, this idea of childlikeness, about entering the kingdom with this childlike perspective, with trust with joyful expectation. And I think it also helps us to celebrate. Play is an act of of self-abandonment. Its very purpose is in the act itself. We stop taking ourselves perhaps too seriously. And we are in the moment enjoying life. It forces us to let go of control, to learn to relax. I like how Richard Rohr says it um, when he talks about needing to to be able to be free in order to enter into this type of thing that we've been talking about. This is what he says, the only way people can ever be free from their fears is to be free from themselves. There's almost a complete correlation between the amount of fear in our lives and the amount of attachment we have to ourselves. The person who is beyond fear has given up the need to control or possess. See, there's an importance here that play sort of encourages this letting go of control. It's opening yourselves up to the moment. It helps you to take yourself a little less seriously. We see, you know, Jesus... um, partying, you know, celebrating so much that those around him accused him of what? Reading the scriptures too much? No, they accused him of being a drunkard. Now, I'm not saying, you know, drink so much that people accuse you of being a drunkard, right? 
Um, but this is what Jesus was accused of. Celebration was obviously a part of his life, and it was important. It gives us perspective. Norman Cousins talks about the importance of being able to laugh at ourselves in his book, The Anatomy of an Illness. And he discusses how he used the therapy of laughter to help him overcome a crippling disease. Jesus had a great sense of humor. We're not going to get into all of those parables today, but he, was a, um, he had a sharp wit about him. So don't take yourself too seriously. About seven years ago, Erica and I, um, it wasn't a, you know, about not taking ourselves too seriously, but we knew we needed guardrails in our life against some of the challenges that we were going through um, in our home. And so we decided, let's go dancing. And there's no way I could take myself seriously by going dancing, right? And so we started on this adventure, on this journey of, of really me learning how to dance. She already knew how to do it uh, better than I did. And, and I must say, the first six months, it was not celebration for me. <laughs> it was supposed to be play, and it was hard work. Uh, it was hard to be in the moment. And, uh, you know, we went to give us something to do together to make our relationship better. And, you know, I would say many times those first six months, we would leave the night, like, not talking to each other. <laughs> You know, and you'd rotate partners around, you know, every 30 or, or seconds or a minute. And so you would get, you know, which also made me nervous. And then, you know, Erica would come back around and she would say, oh, you're not leading right. And I'm like, you're not following right. And that person followed much better than you. This was really great for our marriage, right? And, but in that discipline of learning to dance, it did take time. It forced us, you know, you're, you're face to face with the person you know, dancing, and it's hard to be in that posture of silence for very long. It forces you to confront these things. And, and eventually, when I got better at it, it did become celebration. It did become fun. It, it did become all of these things that we had hoped that it would be, um, but it, it required letting go of control. So engage a hobby, play a sport, take up a class, photography, cooking, Something that engages you in the moment, allows you to celebrate. Another way to celebrate is with gratitude. With gratitude. That can be a simple daily prayer. God, thank you for. We've encouraged gratitude journals in the past of just, you know, it might be the very basic things of life. Thank you for the sunrise. Thank you for this food. Thank you for a job. Whatever it might be, it begins to shape our hearts with being in the moment. And finally, bring others into the celebration. We see Jesus always doing this. In the home of tax collectors and sinners with the 12 disciples, we see this with the people of God in Israel celebrating with others. We see Jesus, we see the early church always looking out to bring others into the celebration. Last night, we had our Mosaic Life Group, 
And I know during COVID, it has been hard to meet um, in life groups. And perhaps some of your groups have waned a bit in interest or others are new and they're not in a life group. And the topic last night was not celebration. It was actually the cross. It was actually Lent, um, which we're going to get to in our sermon series starting this week. And yet sort of celebration erupted. <laughs> and we were with each other and we were having fun. And there was just this goodness for our soul. And, and that's what Jesus wants. Celebration is good for our soul. It helps us to flourish. It helps us to live these lives that he's called us to, this abundant life that he came to promise. So my encouragement this week is to think of how you might celebrate. Maybe this afternoon, maybe it's play, maybe it's with gratitude, maybe it's with somebody else. This um, Wednesday starts Ash Wednesday. So Tuesday has many names, Fat Tuesday, uh, Mardi Gras, Shrove Tuesday. It's this idea of celebration before you begin the journey of Lent. And so it's a great chance to, to celebrate. Um, you don't have to wait for Tuesday. You can do it today. Church, let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God of celebration and you invite us into this. God, I know that... Um, Many of us love to celebrate. I think everybody loves to celebrate, but sometimes it's hard to get to that place. And so we, um, we just acknowledge who you are, God. We acknowledge that you are the giver of good gifts, that you are the giver of great things in our lives that um, we did not earn for ourselves. And so we come to worship you, the author and giver of life, we know that you desire us to celebrate and we can celebrate with you, God. So we bring our praises to you now in your name. Amen.